So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 9. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. I'm just going to read a bit more. Verse 3, he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there, and wherever they do not welcome you, as you're leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus has three, there's three verbs in one and two of Jesus performing action. The first is that Jesus called them, called them. Then he gave them, and then he sent them. Who did he call? He called the 12. And so I have had many Christians over the years when I say that we're called to not just obey the Sermon on the Mount. We are called to obey the Sermon on the Mount, but we're not just called to obey the Sermon on the Mount, but we're actually called to follow the example of Jesus. We don't just preach. We don't just talk. But we are also called to heal the sick, cast out demons, care for the poor, share with those in need, welcome people into our homes. Whatever we see Jesus do, we're called to do. Whatever he told his original disciples to do applies to us because we're disciples of Jesus too. And what I've, the arguments that I have encountered are, well, no, that was for the original 12 and not for us today. And specifically, what they're trying to get away from is uh, these three words, I think. I think they're trying to get away from the idea that today Jesus calls us, gives us power and authority, and sends us as his representatives. And I believe that all three of those, I don't think you can be a Christian unless... You're responding to the call of God. I, and, I, and I don't know how many of us really understood what we've been given in terms of power and authority in Jesus. And I don't know how many of us live with the purpose and the single-minded sort of missionary wartime mindset that we, we really should because I'm not sure if we know how sent we are, how apostolic an apostle is a sent one. But that's, that's one of the first things I would point out is that many people think this was for them, but not for us. In fact, and you've heard me say this in the past, but the church went through a, re- a restoration first of the idea that we're not saved by works, right? You've heard of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, In the 16th century, so in the 1500s, people were studying the Bible carefully, and people like Martin Luther, a German Augustinian monk, says, wait a minute, guys. We're supposed to be saved as a gift. God's, God's righteousness is given to us as a gift, and we are instead trying to make ourselves good enough. So that was rediscovered, But 
the, the call to missions really wasn't discovered until like a hundred, couple hundred years later. That had been covered over under the, the vines and the root systems and the, the brambles and the over. Just when we don't take care of our stuff, it gets covered over in brambles and things. And after 1,500 years of doing Christianity, truths that were meant to be beautiful and, and on display were so covered over by human tradition that we lost them. And the, uh, what I'm saying is in the, in the 15th century, the first thing that was rediscovered is grace. It's a gift. And then a couple hundred years later, we rediscovered the idea, you know, maybe we should live as missionaries. And then a couple hundred years later, we rediscovered, you know what, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And right now, we're rediscovering some stuff too. In the 50s, it was the rediscovery of the fivefold. And then some of that was taken out of balance. But, but isn't it interesting? We're still rediscovering things that are just plain as, the, as plain as the nose on your face once you've been made to see them. But until then, the interpretation of, your, of everyone in your community blinds you. It's right there in the Bible, but you've been trained not to see it. You know what I mean? And so that's one of those arguments. Well, that was just for the apostles. We don't, we, we're not called. We don't have power and authority over sickness and demons. We're not apostles. Those apostles were saints. Even the idea that all Christians are saints was lost. You had to have miracles. You had to be dead for a while. You had to have done a lot of stuff for God. And then the church had to go through a special court case to establish you as a saint. Y'all grew up Catholic, so you know what I'm talking about. You know. That's an interesting idea. You learned what it was once you left? Yes. Fascinating. And I'm not anti-Catholic. I'm just pointing out some things. Yeah. The, the, even the idea that, that everyone who says a yes to Jesus instantaneously becomes a saint. Well, that's, that's shocking. So my conviction is these apply to us. All right, so first question. Power... He called the 12, and I'm going to argue, and us, as a whole talk on the call of God. Like, and I can't go into it tonight, but it's, a, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, because God's always inviting. He's always inviting. It's like, you didn't invent this Christian life. Jesus puts it this way. He says to the disciples straight up, I, Mary, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Like that's so, like, that changes something, right? If you showed up and you're like, Jesus, I really want to follow you, and then, you, and then, and then for the rest of your time there, you're thinking, uh, I'm earning my keep. Do you see what, the difference between that and him coming to you and saying, come with me? You don't have to earn your keep. It wasn't your idea. He already chose you. He already wants you on his squad. Like, it's so cool. Like, Jesus, Luke says it every single time, every single time Jesus has a meal. He took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it. And the bread is you. And the taking is the choosing. That's like, you're chosen. 
you are blessed, you are broken, you are given. Like, it's so gospel. And he did it the same way every single time, and that's how they recognized him post-resurrection, because the bread is also him, right? He was, he's the chosen one who was blessed and then broken and then given for the life of the world. Ah, dude, it's, it's, it's crazy. But the first step of that is chosen. You were taken. You didn't choose me, says Jesus. I chose you. And there's something extremely, like, the deeper you know your chosenness, the deeper you're rooted in love. It's something that you can know in your head, but when it, when it starts to work its way deeper into your belly, it forms your identity. Chosen. I am chosen. I am blessed. I am broken. I am given. That whole thing is so deep. Okay. But we're called, not just the 12. What about Gabe? What did he give them? It's right there in the text. I already said it like three times. This purple's starting to fade on me. Yes, power. I love that verse so much. Yeah. It's a revelation, I think, that God has to give you. I'm sorry. Yeah. It is revelation, isn't it? And that's, that's the, that's the, Paul in Romans 8, he says, um, those whom God has, well, let's just see if I can flip there quickly. I think it's Romans 8, 29. It's been a while since I preached through any, or taught through Romans. Yeah, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, it's verse 30. Those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Those are big churchy words. But if you dig down to their deep meanings, it's like before he made anything, his, his plan was you. And then in real life, because you were always his plan, he made you hear his voice. And that's why you believe. You don't believe because you're smart. You believe because he loves you and he's in pursuit of you. The whole idea that he called, now he called, and faith is never you making something happen, it's you receiving. It's, it's you, God's given you the yes, and our job is the amen, right? Faith is always an amen. It's always a response. The whole Christian life is God taking the initiative, God being the first mover, God... <clears throat> We have this old school idea that says it's, it's appropriate for the boy to ask the girl out. And God is like that. He's always pursuing you. And if you want to pursue him, guess why? It's a him. result. Your hunger for him, your responsiveness to him, your desire for him is evidence of his call. And by call, I don't mean a literal voice. I mean the, the feeling of a pull, a want to. Why do you want him? Because he's calling to your soul, to your spirit, to your conscience, to your mind, right? Your body, your body gets hungry because there's such a thing as food, and your soul feels a yearning for God because there's such a thing as the call of God beckoning you to the feast of his goodness. It's real. It's not just in your head, right? Okay, that was a long point on that. He gave them power... And authority. Those sound very close, don't they? Power and authority almost feel like they're the same thing, but they're not the same thing. What is the difference between power and authority? I don't know why I love this subject. I know. It's kind of like, a, like they ever said before, God 
proceed automatically because of the authority that he's been given, he may not be that big and that strong, but So break it down for me. What's the, what's the policeman's authority? And what's his power? Come on now. Read my mind. Yeah, and you, it's the same with you and me. Jesus didn't just give us authority, and then we stand around going, come on, guys, you shouldn't be doing that. To sin and sickness and, and demons. He gave us a badge, which means I have a legal right. I am representing God appropriately here. I'm not overstepping my bounds. I am within my appropriate bounds. It is not just my, it's not just my right to be here. It's my responsibility to be here. See the difference? I have a right to be here? No, no, no. It's much stronger. I have a responsibility to be here. To do what? To enforce God's will. That's my authority. And then what? The fact that you actually have the, the, the power to... to you, you have more strength. The spirit in you is greater than that which spirit that's in the world. You have more strength for righteousness in you than the devil has strength for sin. That's the power. And, this, and the, where does the power come from? Pentecost, right? Holy Spirit. Where does the authority come from? Because we've been called. Yeah. The authority just comes from what he says, from his commission. It's in his words. But the power comes from the actual encounter. The power comes from being filled with God. Now, what happens when you go in the authority, but you don't have the power? Get your butt handed to you is what happens. Yeah. You know what's really weird? The disciples encountered some people who were casting out demons in Jesus' name. But they weren't Jesus' disciples. And the demons were still honoring Jesus' name. <laughs> Sometimes there's people who have power in their ministry but don't have fruit in their life because Jesus' name has authority and God will honor Jesus' name even if it's on the lips of someone whose heart is not intimate with God and doesn't even know God and in eternity will be separated from God it's just a law of the kingdom just like seeds you know seed time harvest too one at a time I can't do both (laughs) this then this uh, law of... I just think it's one of the laws of the kingdom, so if somebody else is exercising that law, yeah. it weren't just like yeah. any other law, I guess. Uh, demons might have superior reverence for the name Jesus than the dude who's preaching him. Hmm. That's scary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's scary. Yeah. Okay, then your thing was... The, just like the, like the law of the land, like seed time and harvest. You know? Okay, you're, so it's saying, you're saying there are certain... Realities yes. built into how God structured the world. Yes. Um, we talked about this in one of our little family devotions, and I was so, like kind of ticked because I was trying really hard to get the kids to, to understand this parable of Jesus, the, the wheat and the tares. And I was like, an enemy sowed these 
tares in God's wheat field. And in the morning, you know, when the wheat came up, the weeds, the tares came up too. And I said, so guys, what's the meaning? And I felt like my kids were just sort of being tired and unmotivated. And so I got really frustrated with them. Finally, I was just like starting to give them the answers. I was like, what this means is there's fake Christians in churches, guys. And they'll, they're in church now, but they'll be in hell later. That's what it means. It means they look like Christians, they act like Christians, they tithe like Christians, and in their heads they even believe like Christians, and they think they're Christians, but they don't love God, and they don't love people, they don't know Him, and they'll be in hell forever. So I was a little bit frustrated that they weren't like thinking with me. And I thought, well, that'll, hopefully that'll make a nice impact. They're in church today, but they'll be in hell tomorrow. They're leading groups. They're even leading, sometimes they're leading small groups or Sunday schools. They're leading home groups. They're preaching. Sometimes they're pastors. Sometimes they're ordained. Sometimes they did it their whole life, and they didn't know him. They, didn't, they weren't intimate with the Lord. They didn't love the Lord. They didn't meet with him with no one around and let his grace fashion and mold them. They didn't pour out their heart to him and hear his heart for them. That's where the power comes from, you guys. Remember the seven sons of Sceva in, in the book of Acts? They go up to try to cast out a demon, and they go, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, seven guys get overpowered by this one demonized guy. And they, it says they got thrown out of the house naked and bleeding, which is, I mean, if you're a teenage boy and you're reading your Bible and you find there's a story where somebody gets thrown out naked and bleeding, you're like, I wish I was there. Can we, can we get that on pay-per-view? You know what I mean? That's some MMA stuff right there. What's up, buddy? You sure can. Um, go ahead, Stan. Yeah. Things and, and like not, you know, like in the day, like when get into heaven, like that's, that's the third time we've had this, mm-hmm. a purpose this week. So those boys, they say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They don't say in the name of Jesus, my precious Jesus, no. the one whose name is so beautiful to me that just saying his name makes me want to cry. They don't say that, right? Because you got to really know someone for their name's beautiful. Do you know what I mean? We really spend some time with someone and suddenly just saying their name makes you happy. You start getting an endorphin release from your history together. You got history. No, Jesus whom Paul preaches, they get their butts handed to him. You know. Meanwhile, Peter's shadow is healing. And he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. I love that. It's one of my favorite stories. And that's all you know. I ain't got no money, buddy. But I got Jesus. That's more than enough. <laughs> I love the way Danny Silk said it. He's like, we don't have any money. We're pastors. <laughs> I love that. I thought that was hilarious. It's not always true, but it is funny. Power and authority. Jesus gave them both power and authority. And then what does it say? Over what? How, which, how many demons? Okay, that's interesting, right? How many of you have gotten special teaching on, on demons and stuff and you figured out that there's like 
little demons and big demons and huge demons, and you should probably just keep your mind closed and stay on your own little thing and not mess with them. I've heard that teaching a lot. That's a pretty interesting word then. I mean, I know I'm being simplistic here, but either that's true or it ain't. So you probably don't have to worry about how big or small the demon is. Because all. So he gave them authority and power over all demons. And then what else? And then if you cross-reference this one with Matthew, it says all diseases. (laughs) Just to be clear. If you were thinking Luke left it out, Matthew put it in, it's fine. So I would say this too. So they have all the authority to deal with demons and diseases. And then, then he sent them. What did he send them to do? To tell and? That's pretty simple, right? It's a, it's a, uh, well, I guess I'll flip it. When I was a kid, my favorite days in school were show and tell. And he sends them out and he goes, show and tell. Tell and show, either way. Because sometimes Jesus heals, go walks into a community, compassion for a person in a troubling situation, boom, he heals. And then a crowd comes and he goes, let me explain. The kingdom of God is here. And then sometimes... The crowd's like crowding around him, and he'll say, let me tell you about the kingdom. Oh, and by the way, all right, fine, I know, you, I know, what, you, I know what you want. You want to get free of all these afflictions, and then you'll heal. So sometimes he'll show first and then tell. And some people would say, preach the gospel, words, use words if necessary. Guys, it's always necessary. Because if you, if you don't explain what just happened, people will give you the credit or give their own false gods the credit. Their their own broken interpretive worldview needs to be contradicted with the truth. So preaching is not optional. Preaching isn't going away. It's it's here to stay. And by preaching, I don't necessarily know if we're going to have buildings like this and speak into microphones to crowds that gather. I don't know what shape it's going to take in the coming hundreds of years. I don't know. But one thing I guarantee you is people are going to be talking about Jesus and doing Jesus. They're not just going to form little groups of people who gather around volleyball and, and interests and have conversations and see what they feel like they want to believe. When I was college age, that was the popular model of how to do missions. We're just going to have conversations. They didn't even say the word conversation correctly. It was conversations. I have no idea what was going on with that. It's this postmodern, we're just going to hang out and you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to assert our truth. We're just going to I didn't even know, man. Preaching. There's truth to be announced, authoritatively proclaimed. It's not my opinion. It's not my opinion. I'm not here to show you what I feel is true. Because there's a hunger. Yeah. 
And sometimes these little shutdowns backfire and they actually make more hunger, which leads to, don't gather in groups. Next thing you know, there's thousands in groups. It's like backfiring. Okay. And he sent them. What are they to tell? I think you said it before. That is so fascinating. That is the gospel Jesus preached. The gospel we preach is, God's really mad. Jesus got murdered instead of you. Now you don't have to be afraid of God. So when you die, you can go to heaven. The end. Try also to not sin and give us your money. Good luck. 50 more years of that. The good part's when you get to heaven. Pretty much uh, sin and taxes is what you can count on for now. And boring sermons and potlucks. But give us your money. <laughs> that's not the gospel the now. yes yes that's not near as good of a gospel as God's reign God in charge God's will being done for a change is breaking into this world and now you're going to be able to see and experience in this life what it what it looks like, what it feels like, what it's like when God is king. Here and now, in this life, eternal life starts now. That's a good word. That's a good gospel. Eternal life starts now. That's the kingdom of God is here. Eternal life starts now. We enter into Jesus as king now, not later, now. I like to, you know, Brian Zahn used the phrase, the sort of the, the minister of afterlife affairs is what we make Jesus in sort of our Americanized gospel. Now, everything but Jesus is Lord, but later he'll be Lord, so he's really minister of afterlife affairs. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's Lord now, and his lordship is experienced now, and the, light, like the, the peace of entering his, king, his kingdom now that's what baptism is. It's bloop, it's entering into the kingdom. Catholic Church has a really cool thing. They, they view the baptism as an exorcism. Really? Yes, they do. Like multiple times during the, during the baptism, they say, do you renounce Satan and his lies and his, and, uh, and his works? Like three different times, like they don't know if you mean it the first couple times. And you go, yes, I do. And then they come, then they talk more and they have, then they come back. And do you renounce Satan and his lies and his works? Just to make sure. Because if you can't answer those questions the right way, you might have a critter. That's, (laughs) their idea is you're a house, you're a temple. And Ephesians 2 is true that before we met Jesus, this temple was full of demons, y'all. Full of critters. And so their idea of baptism is, you're going, down, you're going down with critters, but you're coming up filled with Jesus. Whoosh. That's an exorcism. And then a refilling with a totally different spirit that's going to rule the roost from now on. There's not, there's not, we don't want a vacant home with me in charge, because me in charge is just saying, critters, come on back. That's getting sidetracked. The kingdom of God. So we're to tell about the kingdom, because I said words are not optional, they're necessary, otherwise people will give you credit, like, oh, wow, Paul and Apollos must be gods. And they're like, no, guys, we're not gods, we're just ordinary men, we're trying to tell you about Jesus. Next thing you know, they're like, well, then stone them. (laughs) (laughs) Can you make up your mind? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. 
But he, what is the connection between healing? Let me see if I can do it this way. What is the connection between forgiveness of sins and healing the body? Because in our, in our proclamation of the kingdom, forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness is the big deal. Like, that's it. Turn from that stuff and be forgiven. Turn from that stuff to God and be forgiven of all that stuff. That's, that's really the, the, the essence of it. Repent and forgive. What is the connection then? And send them out. Tell them about the kingdom. And heal them. The healing the How does the healing show the forgiving. Because it does. I'm still fascinated with this question. Apparently, healing clearly reveals that God is not holding your sins against you. And apparently, the early church viewed Satan, sin, sickness, and death as all one substance. None of that belongs to God's kingdom. In fact, sickness is death. It's a seed form of death. And it's all connected to sin. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Do you believe that they never sinned? They'd have never died? Most Christians believe that. I've had a few people who didn't. And you believe that in the age to come, when sin is eradicated, death will also be eradicated? And therefore, sickness will be eradicated because sickness is just death in seed form. So it doesn't belong to this kingdom. So when you forgive sins, the kingdom is manifesting. And when you heal sicknesses, the kingdom is manifesting. And, and yeah, it's a sign, but it's more than a sign. It flows very naturally from the compassionate love of God. In other words, he's not doing it to prove something. He's doing it as the expression of who he really is. It does prove stuff. It pro- shows who he is. Basically, healing is for the, the unsaved because it proves to them that God you know, does exist. Actually, we're supposed to be walking in divine health as a believer. So, yeah. I got a you know? I'm 100% on board with what you're saying. Stan's got a question. Okay. Okay. And so, so does that mean to have sin? You know, because, because it's like, okay, I'll just be friends with 
it's like, it's like with my eye issue, you know, there's, as far as I'm aware, there's sin, but it's like, there, that's a disease or a sickness. You know what I mean? so I'm not suggesting that. that. No, I'm just, I'm just, that's what I'm just saying. That's interesting, too. Remember that scripture? Well, hold on, let's stay one oh. thought at a time, unless that's an answer to his question. Is that an answer to his question? Well, I kind of Okay, go for this. it then, yeah. Well, I mean, I think. Because I can only handle one thread at a time. <laughs> disciples saw somebody blind and they said to Jesus who, who sinned, sinned this man, this man or, his parents. or his parents yeah and he and said, he said neither, neither but let God be glorified and and then the English translations wrongly translated it this happens so that God might get glory that's not what it says in the Greek all it says in the Greek is neither but let God be glorified okay which do you know where that is uh, no, I just Google it. Google will tell you exactly where it is. I know. It's, I spend a lot of time. But you know the scripture, and that's yeah. more important than knowing its address. Well, I just wanted to see if mine had it written like that, so I could. I always like to rewrite what's yeah. correct in the Greek or the Hebrew. But just real quick to say this to everyone, don't worry too much if you can't remember the exact address of a, of a given scripture. Do you know the rest of the people in this group's address? No. Does that make you feel bad that you must not love them enough? No. So let's get over that. That's a weird, demonic, little piddly-winky thing that we do to ourselves. I have no idea where that comes from. But, oh, yeah. So, Stan, you're asking a brilliant question. And the brilliant question is, if forgiveness and healing are, are just what happens when the kingdom comes to earth, then why, if I'm a saint, am I not walking in the fullness of divine health, like Tina was describing. Is there something missing in my faith? Uh, am I in sin? I, I think those are really helpful questions. And, uh, and I think this group probably knows that if we heap more guilt on people who are sick and blame them for it, instead of lift them out of it, that would be a really weird theology. Right? Uh, I, I, would, I, I would put it this way. I'm 100% delighted in in heaven in terms of God the Father, correct? But on earth, in my mind, I don't live with that level of rejoicing and knowing that. And that's not God's will, but that is a part of my lived experience. And in a similar way, I am not experiencing the fullness of what is mine in the gospel in my body either. There, and there's, in other words, there's stuff for me to grow in, in both realms. That's just, I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's my answer for what I think right now at age 40, what am I, 42? Maybe when I'm 65, I'll have a better answer. You know, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions here. True or false? You see this, right? Like, tell, heal. Preach, heal, standard. Jesus went around doing good and talking about the kingdom. Sent the disciples out to tell them about the kingdom and then free people who are oppressed. If they're suffering, we're going to bring them, we're going to bring them restoration. If they're afflicted in their mind by evil critters, we're going to get rid of them critters. The mental affliction, the physical affliction, we're going to release them. Your sins are forgiven, you're loved, Jesus is Lord. So true or false, preaching ministries, this is just, 
You just tell me what you actually feel in your heart. Preaching ministries are worthy of respect, while healing ministries, maybe not quite that same level of respect. Interesting, right? What does that reveal? And, 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 and even if you would say, no, 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 healing ministries have just, should be worthy of just as much respect, you, could you at least admit with me that in our mindset as American Christians, we view intellectually profound, biblically faithful, Bible-teaching ministries as being much more respectable than ministries that focus big time on healing. Healing's from the heart where preaching's from the head. I know like Randy Clark, I have so much respect for Randy Clark. Faithful Bible teacher, humble, gentle, totally orthodox, and it's hard to find somebody more slandered than him, somebody more hated than him, somebody more called a heretic than him. But if he would have just left the miracles behind, not done any of the healing stuff, and just talked about Jesus and God's love... He would, you know, non-Christians would still not like him, but I'm saying, or some wouldn't. But he wouldn't have been as persecuted by the, you know, the autoimmune disorder of the church eating its own. And I, and I think it's just there's something about a biblical balance on this. Of the show and tell, we're way out of balance. There's a lot more telling than there is showing. And so when somebody starts to show us, we, I don't know for what, maybe we get insecure. I don't know why. Yeah. If they have fruit, I don't, then what does that mean about me? Yeah, like it makes you look back on yourself a lot. I think it's part of the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus. When he would stand there, he wouldn't quote other people. He wouldn't have dozens of footnotes. Well, this, this rabbi said this. And th- yeah, what he'll say, he starts his sermon out with the conclusion. What they would do is they would, they would quote a bunch of professionals who lived before, And then at the end, the listeners would be like, Amen, he has spoken well. Jesus would stand up and start by declaring himself, Amen, Amen. Or in your translation, truly, truly, I tell you. No, 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 it's the word Amen, twice. Meaning, before he even starts, he's giving the affirmation that what I'm about to tell you is legit. And then he doesn't quote a soul, but just tells you the truth and then, and then, and then, a dude starts to manifest a demon and he says, shut up and get out. And the thing goes, scurrying like a little yipping dog off into the woods. And the people go, what is this? And they marveled at him. This is Mark. What is this teaching? With authority, with the word, he commands demons. And they obey him? What does that do for you if you're a pastor and this hot up-and-coming youngin' shows up in your town and all your people want to go hear him instead of you and when they go, they get free. They get free of sin, they get free of guilt, they get free of shame, they get free of sicknesses, they get free of demons. Demons they brought to your church every day for 40 years. Makes you either have to repent and figure out what he's got or not repent and figure out how to kill him so you can feel good about you. Quite a lot. Yeah. The show and tell's out of balance. Yeah. And um, what, uh, 
saying what I'm saying. When you go to a healing, yeah. or I don't hate to say it's a healing, the person, whatever, there's always preach. It's pre they preach. That's right. They're, they have yeah. the word going on. Yeah. And then the, yeah. then the healing too. But um, yeah. So. Well, you don't have to, but faith does come by hearing and hearing by yes. the word of Christ. Right? It is possible to do what Jesus did, which is to heal first and then explain, or in many cases, not explain anything. Jesus is a fascinating guy. But then it also comes he spends half his time trying to not explain things. Yep. Another question. Uh, why is it easier to settle for a teaching uh, ministry or a, a Christianity that's focused on just learning instead of trying to learn how to follow Jesus into this kind of stuff? Uh, why is it easier to settle for learning about God instead of learning how to do what Jesus did? The cost is higher. Hundreds. He saw no miracles for the first couple hundred. Was it a thousand? I can't keep. I wouldn't have kept track. That would have been depressing. Yeah, that's not exactly encouraging, though. But okay. But he didn't give up, and he stuck in there. Another question, why do we tend to see more miracles on the front lines of missions or in the streets or in evangelism or at work, um, at school, at college? Why does it seem like we see God do more miracles um, in evangelistic settings? It's just a question. I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. Remember when Adam Bauer came and he said the same thing? He said, you want to see miracles at Gateway? You want to see? He's like, y'all need encouragement. Y'all are too much sitting in and looking at each other's butts and going, he's like, y'all need to get out and do what Carolyn Biggs is doing. You need to get out in the streets, pray for some, from, for some people. He needs to, That's right. He's like, you get out there, I promise you God's going to do miracles. You can pray in here all day long and see one small miracle, but you get out there and they're just going to see people. You just have to get up every morning and say, God used me today. You just... <laughs> And then you got to be brave enough to put in my path. walk across the room or open your mouth. My question is why? Put God in a box, call the church building. Too, you know, it's got a mindset, American mindset, got Christianese stuff. That's where they need us. You need a refreshing and a restoration and a revival. So two different answers here. You're saying... We have such a fixed set of, of expectations that nothing will happen here. 
And so actually we don't even have faith for it even if we're asking here. Out there we're taking more of a risk so it, maybe it's actually activating more faith even in us for God to move. And then you're saying the need is greater out there. And somebody earlier said something about when, I'm going to put it in my own words, somebody earlier said when Jesus heals a non-Christian, it's like, hello, I love you. And they go, whoa, what just happened? It's like the doors, right? Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? You know, but re- okay, so remember when Brian Connolly came that first time? Yeah. He did the impartation yeah. and things. And then he, I, I think it might have, I don't know if it was that same weekend or another time, but he really focused on healing. Yeah. And, and I Not in his preaching. Hmm? Not at all in his preaching. But in his doing, yes. Yes. But what I'm saying is I, I remember how many healing, there was a lot of healing going on in yeah. the gateway. Yeah. There were always people coming forward. Yeah. And the majority of the time, they were receiving their healing. Yeah. It Even like, like Steve Goss there. and I stood right here and he called his mom on the phone and I right. prayed for her over the phone and the I Lord healed that. her in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, Courtney, Courtney Schrock, I was standing right next to him. And Jesus healed his elbow or his knees or something. Pete, this wasn't the same weekend, but Pete Roach and I were back right here by the, yeah, by the back pew. For healing kept and he was talking about his knees. The more you saw, Hold on, yeah. let me finish the story. Sorry. He was talking about his knees. And I said, uh, I, had, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't feel like this was a word from the Lord. But I said, why don't you walk forward and turn around and come back to me? And, and when he turned around, he was crying. All the pain had gone. And, and you're right. We were taking risks. We were stepping out. Keep, keep talking. Well, and because everybody kept seeing and hearing all the healings, yeah. it just, it did. People became expect, well, if he can get healed, mm-hmm. and if Steve Goss's mom can be healed mm-hmm. and just on the telephone, yeah. well, then I the could expectation too. of pulling on that. And so mm-hmm. it pulls people out of there. I mean, mm-hmm. we did. We would have lines, right? Yeah, there was one day where I was like, get, just, just. Let me get my hands on every single freaking person in here that's sick, please. And I think there was a line that formed, and one after another, boom, boom, yeah. boom, 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 like five, six people in a row. <clears throat> Instantaneous pain relief from whatever was going on. Yeah. We were dug in for it. We were pressing in yeah. because it was our birthright to do so. Because we, we were like, you know what? If this is true, if this is true, and, and we are the called, and we are the gifted, and we are the sent, then let's go, baby. Let's try. And let's go. It gives those that are laying hands and praying for the mm-hmm. sick, it gives you the boldness to yeah. go out. That's right. Yeah. If it's going to happen here, yes. I know it's going to happen out there. And I think also we were, you know, and, and maybe I'll just say the present tense. There is a healthy place in Christ where not seeing immediate results doesn't shake your faith. When you're like 100% sure that, that, that you're loved and accepted and this is God's will, and that we're in a battle for God's will to take shape on earth, that as soon as there's a setback, you don't go, oh, I guess it's not going to happen. Yeah, now, no, there's a resilience when you know you're in love and when you're in a place swimming in affirmation. And even if your healing never manifests this side of heaven, you're going, you're going to be swinging for the fences and celebrating who, who you are as a son or a daughter of a good father. I distinctly remember praying with Austin and Megan sitting somewhere around one of those 
right where Tina is, or maybe the bench behind. And he had just about cut his hand off with that table saw accident, and so he had metal rods, and still has metal rods in there. And he was asking us to pray for the metal rods to disappear. I'm just saying, that's a high level. Brian Connolly looked at me and he goes, I don't know that I have faith for this. And I thought, man, I'm glad you're being honest. And so we pressed in and started praying. And I think I went around and prayed for some different people, came back later when they were by themselves. And I was praying and I leaned in and I was talking about the sonship. And Megan plopped over out in the spirit into a coma, went off into heaven for a while. And I just thought, God is good. We didn't see that healing happen that day. But the stuff the Spirit did in that moment was so significant in terms of sonship and adoption and assurance and love and trust. Some stuff you're too afraid to ask because you, because you don't know if you can weather the disappointment of really laying your heart on the line and having it not happen. That is true right there. And, and what we were leaning into was this place of we're going to lay it on the line and, and God's love is going to meet us whether or not the healing comes. God's love is going to meet us in such a way that we can live with our hearts wide open to him. You know, I think that's special. That's special. But if you just say none of it's for today, it's just so much more emotionally safe, isn't it? Just save it for the next, save it for the thousand year reign. Save it for the next life. I know, but I'm just saying, what are the psychological reasons we would want to just get rid of that theology? Okay. You know, more questions. That's not a theoretical question, Mr. No, I want healing for my eyes. You're right. And I kind of always say the same thing. I want healing for my asthma. But I'm not going to stop. Or maybe I should say it this way. I sure don't want to stop praying for others. Because yours hasn't manifested. Because I'm also in need of healing. Just like I wouldn't want to stop preaching that Jesus is incredible and loving uh, because I'm struggling to feel like I'm worth love. Right? No, you preach the gospel to yourself and others. And you pray for healing for others and yourself. Um, But admittedly, sometimes it's like easier to not receive prayer. And I think it's okay to do that from time to time. If I was in a wheelchair and every time I went to a church (coughs) service, the charismatics mobbed me, and that, and that be, like, let's be honest. If, if the charismatics mob me every time I'm in my wheelchair and I come to church, I'm going to want to go to a non-charismatic church eventually because that now is, they're actually naming me the cripple. And I'm more than this. So them just leaving me the heck alone and letting me even teach Bible studies and stuff and treating me like a human with dignity, even if this never happens, would, would be better gospel than obsessing over the wheelchair thing. And, and, you know, but it's okay for them to want to pray for me. Did I just, was that weird, what I just said? That's frustrating. Uh, more questions. Wait a minute. Somebody tell me what time it is. Are we over time? Can I do one more? Okay. I'll just go with my final question. How can we stay stirred up in our passion to both tell others about the kingdom 
and heal others in Jesus' name? How can we stay stirred up in our passion to tell others about the kingdom? Because that's what the commission is, isn't it? Tell. If, there's a good, if you're encountering Jesus, you should, you should have something authentic that's good you, to report. But if you don't believe he got healed, how are you going to tell somebody else Jesus can heal? Explain. If you don't believe, if you don't see, if, you, if you're trying to tell somebody that Jesus can heal whatever situation you have, but... Or the glass house thing. see that manifested in your own life, then how are you going to share that? Um, see, I think, you, I think healing, I think like what Stan was saying, yeah. that he prays for his eyes to be healed. I believe Stan's already healed. Explain what you mean by that. Sometimes we don't always see it, we have, we're so limited in our vision as human beings, we don't see the big picture of God. And we don't see God's healings in our life, even though he knows what we need more so than we do. So therefore, when, there's, when we pray for a healing, God says, okay, I, I, I'm going to heal. There's more of a spirit. We need a healing in our spirit, or we need a greater healing in our life. And and just because we don't see it manifested, that doesn't mean, it can't mean that God isn't true. So. It's weird, because as you're talking. I'm just saying that. Your words aren't, it, we, aren't saying it as clear it as, as I want you to say it. And yet, what you're saying is transferring into my spirit. Tom, I'm hearing, I'm hearing you say, this changes nothing. God is faithful. God is faithful, right. And I'm walking exactly. by faith. That's and right. I'm believing that even though I haven't seen the answer, yes, yet. That the answer is yes, and it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. That's why I keep saying, it's just like children. That's the childlike faith that Christ taught. Because if you believe the answer is no, you won't be praying for others. No. And then you won't, how do you? Because you won't trust the Father's heart. How do you tell? Or at least you won't trust the Father's word. So how can you trust the heart of a man who you don't trust their word? Well, then you can go through, I don't believe in the call that gave it, gave it the sense. And that makes it, that makes it. So, so you're giving this answer to my question of how do we say stirred up? And you're saying we have to stay in a good place of our heart, having authentic trust that, that the father is being responsive to our own, to our situation. Anyone else want to, want to piggyback or even. Oh, so you, uh, you're, you're referencing the angel Gabriel Daniel. going to Daniel, and Daniel started praying because he understood from the scripture that it was going to be like 70 years. The exile was going to last like 70 years. And so instantly he hit the deck and went into prayers, asking for God's forgiveness, et cetera, et cetera. And so, but, it, but nothing seemed to be happening. He was praying, but nothing seemed to be happening. And then later, the angel Gabriel shows up and says, Greetings, Daniel, you who are highly favored, meaning like you are, you are special to God's heart. God is moved by you. God's, God is very pleased by you, Daniel. Let me just tell you, since the moment you humbled yourself and started praying, an answer was given, but in the heavenly realm there was, there was a war and the messenger was delayed. And I'm here like second and third to give you the message. I'm saying this a long way. That's, okay, so what you're saying is kind of like Tom. 
you surrender yourself to Jesus, you continue to trust the Father even if you don't see the answer. Because like Daniel, just because you don't see the answer doesn't mean that, it's the, that the problem is on the Father's heart. There could be a battle going on. Interesting. Because there's more f- complicated factors to how the spiritual realm and the, and the physical realm work. And I think a lot of that is happening now. I think there's a lot of, of, of all of that going on. We, you know, we don't acknowledge sometimes that, but I think there's a big battle going on for good and evil right now. There, there is a battle going on for good and evil. There's always a battle going on for good and evil. And, yeah. Yep. How do we say stay stirred up? Because I know this is big on Brian Connolly's heart. Brian, Brian's frustrated. Brian's frustrated because, you know, five, six, seven years ago, he, was, he had more of a passion to pray for the sick, and he was seeing a lot of miracles. And now he's frustrated because he feels like his own faith has flagged or his own zeal in these areas has flagged. But I would, I would say I can weigh in too, right? I would say... If we are trying to tell about the kingdom of God because it's our duty, and if we're trying to heal because it's our duty, that's not a healthy motivation. The healthy motivation is that Jesus had compassion on them and healed them. I think that's always the key word that Love. I'm learning more and more is... You than you. It's, oh, go ahead. Compassion. When I, and I've noticed that with especially Alex, mm. our youngest. Yeah. When he feels compassion for a situation, then he will. Then pray. he'll step out in faith. Then he will step out in faith. And, and even get aggressive. Hmm? And even get bold. Yeah. 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 But if he. Because love is very bold. Yeah. And maybe that's part of. I have really. I have wrestled with yeah. how. And I know, yeah. like, God has talked to me about it, like, how it used to be. Yeah. Because it was exciting and it. It was such a time of just feeling this overwhelming amount of love and excitement for, God, what are you going to do next? You know? That's it. That's the whole thing of expectation. I know. But what happened? Like, I'm, I'm mostly talking to myself. I'm not talking yeah. to, like, what change happened? Me. Change me. That's what I want to say. Change me. That I stopped seeing all that. I still wanted it. I still went after it. I still go after it, but I don't go after it like I used to. I feel like I'm just kind of been kind of like maybe beat down without even, maybe not beat down is the word. Yeah, I'm not asking what went wrong. I'm asking how can we stay stirred up? Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I haven't, because I haven't been able to make. So you're saying you don't know? I don't know because. Yeah, that's an acceptable answer. Wait, Amanda's next. Um, a couple of years ago, when we were at creation, Mariah walks around and she prays and yeah. witnesses over people. Yeah. And yeah. That's who she is. Yeah. I was working in the medical tent and I had a patient come in and they're like, they were checking on a one of their other met people. And she goes, I need to go find... Um, the person who's praying for people, and I was like, I, all of a sudden I said... That's how she get, became known, the yeah, person who's um, praying for people. She goes, she's a witness, and I'm like, if you wait until I get off shift, I will gladly take you yeah. to her. 
And they looked at me like I had three heads. I was like, it's my daughter. <laughs> that reminds me so much of Adam Bauer's story about how he would go to the mall and stand in the middle of the food court and say, if anyone has any pain in their body, I'd love to pray for you on his lunch break. And he was like, nothing's happening. And like starting to get frustrated until all at once, when you speaker, it started working. When you have a yeah. Come, come into medical and say, talking about this little girl who's yeah. witnessing to over 30 people mm-hmm. and praying for them. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's our key. I just look Hang out with whoever they are mm-hmm. and learn from the kids, learn from the hungry. Because I, you know, be genuine. And then Stan, I think, has the next. Well, she kind of hit on a little bit. Is, 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 you know, I think what you're doing in your private life, you know, praying, seeking the Lord, spending time um, with the Lord, I think, and when you go out and you do that stuff, I think it'll convey itself out more because you've had time to spend quiet time and then when you go out and you know if it's in the mall wherever it may be you know the Lord will give you both sometimes I, I think you got to be led by the spirit with that some, some, sometimes yep. but uh, sometimes you do because 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 I've seen just you know brush by somebody and you don't have time to pray for them you don't have time like like it's sometimes I think it's a more of a disservice because, because you don't have that time to you know to do what you would like to do. But then there's times where Jesus could use that, that one little instant moment at that time. But I think it really comes down to you really, you know, seeking the Father on your own time and then just go out and do it. Just just go out and do it. Just like, like you were talking about. Go do it. So the Spirit's all over me. I'm just going to go with this and this is how we're going to conclude. I'm going to pray over each of you. And as soon as I'm done praying over you, you're free to go. So Tom, in Jesus' name, you have been given. You have been called by Jesus to belong to him. Tom and Teresa, you have been called by Jesus to belong to him. And you have been given power and authority over all demons and to cure sicknesses. That is yours. You have that. You can walk in that now. And the disciples, they didn't always see it perfectly because they were learning this thing. And that's, they're a little bit like us. So Holy Spirit, more. And I pray for the increase of faith this week to share Jesus with people. That you carry the kingdom. Faith to share Jesus with people. Faith to proclaim the kingdom, faith to heal in Jesus' name. More in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, more. More.